This is the Victor Davis Hanson podcast, The Traditionalist. We are recording on Thursday, May 13th in the year 2021. I'm Jack Fowler, the co-host, the former publisher at National Review. And today, the namesake of this show, Victor Davis Hanson, who is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and a professor a couple of weeks a year this coming September out at Hillsdale author of many bestsellers, including Case for Trump, uh, The Second World Wars, and the forthcoming book, which you should order on Amazon, The Dying Citizen. Victor will be sharing his wisdom with us on a couple of issues. So here's what we kind of hope to get to all these today. Uh, The Colonial Pipeline Madness, uh, Victor's new essay at American Greatness, Tuning Out Wokeism, on his very worthwhile a website, victorhanson.com, private papers, it's what it's called. He's got a piece. He's updating the, the American vocabulary, and we'll ask him to look at two words, related words, diverse and diversity. Also, let's get Victor's two cents on what's happening in the recall, specifically with Caitlyn Jenner tossing her bonnet into the, the ring, the tax on Israel. What has Joe Biden done, if anything, to embolden Israel's enemies? And then our Reliable friend Anthony Fauci with yet another twist and turn on uh, masks. So, Victor, let's talk about Israel first, and maybe we can meld that in with the colonial pipeline. So, Israel is under aggressive attack, and any number of people, including my old place of work in publishing, National Review, has attacked Joe Biden, saying that he has emboldened Israel's enemies. So, the question here, Victor, to you is has he? And if he has, how has he? And also, if you think, Victor, that the colonial pipeline crisis out in the, on the East Coast, uh, was a, uh, a, which was a shakedown and a hacking, if that was also an act that may have been emboldened by a Biden presidency, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that also. I feel this is cheating, Jack, because you placed a ball on my T-ball platform, and I'm about ready to swing. And uh, how's that cheating? Is... <laughs> well, you didn't throw me a curve. You didn't ask me what is the exact number of COVID cases this week in Israel or something. Well, that's coming up. <laughs> but uh, yes, we have to ask yourself simply in a logical fashion: this case that supposedly sparked the unrest, that is, some Jewish heirs to owners of property in Jerusalem before the 1947-48 loss of parts of East Jerusalem to Jordan, whether those uh, ongoing court cases had sparked this level of violence five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years. Why now? Why now? Why did the Palestinians do it now? And of course, Ostensibly, they did it because Abbas canceled an election. He knew Hamas was going to win. He wants to have greater revolutionary fervor. That means he wanted to spike the violence. The Israeli government is in turmoil. It hasn't been formed. The election didn't give any one ideology a particular edge over the other. So that Israel was seen as leaderless or rudderless. But that still has happened before. But what was different this time was... A new president has been in office 100, and I think when it broke out, seven days. 
And what did this new president do when he inherited a very calm? In fact, I think I can make the statement, the calmest Middle East since the founding of Israel. And by that, I mean, there was no violence. There were no rocket attacks. Iran had been emasculated. It was suffering sanctions, economic chaos, poor oil prices and embargoes, sanctions. It had starved Hezbollah. Hamas not only did not have much cash from Iran, but Donald Trump had said to it, basically, you're not going to get $700 million to this phony UN agency, refuge agency that's basically a conduit for your often terrorist operations. And more importantly, you're not going to hold 500 million people in the Arab world hostage because of your particular take on this particular dispute when there's larger issues, i.e. a nuclear Iran. And that seemed to appeal to the Gulf monarchies, some of which actually recognize Israel and others were supposedly going to do it. And their principle was, we know that Iran is an existential threat that the Persian Shia Khomeiniite movement hates Sunni Arabs more than it does even Jews. And we don't know how to handle this threat, but Israel does. And once we prune away the rhetoric, we know there's zero chance that Israel's going to preempt any of our countries with its nuclear weapons. But if we were to provide it air corridors or replacement weapons in our, our depots or intellectual or political or social cultural cover, then they will be de facto our protector uh, in the Middle East. And the United States is firmly in our camp. And that apparently the Abram Accords broke the deadlock and we had peace. So Joe Biden comes in. All he did, had to do was claim that it was his policy. But like the border, he couldn't leave it alone. And like the economy, he couldn't leave it alone. And like the pipelines, he couldn't leave it alone. So he couldn't leave this alone. And he said, basically, we're going to do whatever Donald Trump did, we're going to do in the opposite. We're going to tell these Arabs, don't, don't recognize Israel. We're going to tell the Palestinians, here's the first payment of the 700 million. You deserve it. We're going to condemn both sides. If there's a rocket, that 50 rockets this hour go into Israel, then if Israel shoots them, whatever. If Israel retaliates, it's both sides. Both sides ism, I suppose, moral neutrality. And we're going to tell the Iranians, you know, Donald Trump is gone. We're going to let down the sanctions and your economy will come back. You'll have cash again. The oil price is going up in the world. There will be no more embargoes. We want to go back to the Iranian deal. And of course, Iranian Khomeinius, Iranian Khomeinius interpreted that outreach, not as, as I wrote, magnanimity to be reciprocated, but weakness to be exploited. And so all hell broke loose. And then the American left really showed its colors because for the first two days, whether it was Rashid Talib, Congresswoman, or Elon Omar, AOC, they were decidedly pro-Palestinian, even as Arab villages inside Israel began to favor the Palestinians, and more importantly, began to attack Jews. This is very uh, kind of an artifact. I went to Israel in 2006 once, and they were building the Sharon Wall. And I went up to the northern part, not too far from the Golan or not too far from the Sea of Galilee. And I noticed there were these demonstrations. And I asked this IDF guy I was with, I said, so what are they demonstrating about? And he said, they don't want to be part of the Palestinian Authority. I said, what? He said, well, we gave them an offer that said that we would have an acreage or square miles about what we had 
uh, on the green line, but we just wanted the neighborhoods that have already been settled around Jerusalem. And we were willing to take out of pre-1947 Israel, we were willing to take out villages and let them be with Arafat. So I said, wait a minute, these people in this village are protesting the fact that they can't be on the Israeli side of the wall. Are you serious? He said, yeah, they have good pensions. They have good jobs. They're protected by constitutional rights of freedom of expression. And they feel they're going to be shaken down or they're going to be in trouble on the other side. And yet those areas are the very ones now where people are coming out of the woodwork to attack Jews. And so I think it's a, it's a crisis for the Democratic Party. And they don't know quite what to do it because, let's face it, they have no more white working class people. They don't have middle of the road people. Anybody who was favorable to Israel Anybody who feels Jewish and has an affinity for Israel probably is in the Republican Party or an independent and most secular Jews that are to the degree that they have a position on this are anti-Israel because they feel that's where the youth and woke movement is headed. And so I think this issue is something of an embarrassment. You can see that with the Biden administration. They finally said we deplore both sides and all that stuff. And Israel has a right. I really like that statement from Biden. Israel has a right to defend itself. So, Jack, when you're walking in New York next time and somebody comes up to you and hits you seven times in the face and you didn't know it was coming, did you know you have a right maybe to disproportionately hit back one time? Yeah. But not not eight, but just but, one. Yeah. Depending on my pigmentation, I think. that yes. there, there yes. was in there also. Well, let's yeah. talk about Biden also. And, and the, this may or may not be the case, but take the colonial pipeline crisis, which I'd like to add, Victor, we've talked about water before, and water to me is a more important resource than gasoline. Nobody on the East Coast gives a rat's patoot about how water is denied uh, you and your neighbors and and how destructive that uh, activity by bureaucrats is out in California. So that being said, though, I I do want to get that in, that the gas, this pipeline hacking uh, has happened. There's some ransom that's been paid. There are outages, mostly in the South, long lines of people trying to get gas, uh, $7 a gallon here or there, reminiscent of Jimmy Carter, or oh, the gas crisis of the early 70s. Did this happen, you think, Victor, because Joe Biden is president, which means would it have happened had Donald Trump still been president? No, I don't think it would have happened. And by that, I mean, This supposed quasi-Russian-affiliated terrorist organization, it was as if they had studied the progressive mind. Because what did they do? They first of all said, we don't attack humanitarian organizations. We would never do this to a hospital or um, somebody in need. We are attacking the capitalists or whatever. Okay. And then they're thinking, well, you know what? All we're doing is reifying what Joe Biden did. He canceled the access. He canceled the Dakota. He canceled Keystone. So we're doing the same thing. So we expect that for all their anguish, secretly, there must be somebody in the leftist halls of power that, with a wink and a nod, likes what we're doing. Because after all, they say that they want to get rid of fossil fuels and they don't like pipelines. And that's what we're doing. And so I don't think that they're working hand in glove by any means. I'm not suggesting treason or traitorous behavior, but I am suggesting that a very politically adept terrorist organization has found a seam in American ideology and feels that they were emboldened. There won't be repercussions. And indeed, Biden said it's basically a private 
security matter. I wonder what he'd say if all of a sudden the internet was shut down, the public internet. Somebody hacked wherever this big farm is. I think it's somewhere in the East Coast that has the power to power the internet. And all of a sudden he said to Facebook, and Twitter and Google and Amazon. I'm sorry, you guys. This is a private company. You got to get better security. I don't think he'd say that. So there was an idea that he doesn't want to be in a position to defend the oil companies, at least on day one. And then they said there was no crisis, etc. And then as gasoline climbed and climbed and climbed and was short, somebody tapped him on the shoulder and said, "You were alive during the two embargoes of." 73, 74, and then 79, 80. And so you know what this is like and what it does to presidents, whether it's Richard Nixon or Jimmy Carter. And you've got to look pissed off. You've got to say something afternoon before you go to bed at 3.30. So say something. So he's starting to mumble in 24 hours, we'll, we'll have an update. But he's not presidential. He's not active. And so I think Donald Trump would have, from the very beginning, never canceled a pipeline. He would have had building pipelines right now. And he would be bragging on fracking and he would go say that federal lands are open to frack and natural gas is clean, it, it gets good jobs. It keeps us out of the Middle East. It's just a win-win situation. And then if he found out who hacked them, he would go after them and he wouldn't care who it was. And so that's where we are. And that's where we are is where we are in the Middle East. That's where we are with China. That's where we are with the economy. That's where we are with the border. I wrote a piece today, kind of tied all those together and said it's the neglect of ancient wisdom. And the ancient wisdom said if you print money and you have zero de facto zero interest and you pay people more to stay home than to go to work and you demonize the productive class and you spike their energy costs, then you're going to have too many people with too much money chasing too few goods that are not being produced in sufficient numbers, and you're gonna have inflation, and then you're gonna have what we used to call stagflation, which in the vernacular could be said something along the lines of, you have high job openings, you have a lot of job openings, but you don't have anybody that wants them because either they're on the dole or they don't wanna work or there's no incentive. So you get the worst of both worlds. You get high unemployment, and you get a stagnant economy that cannot produce goods and services for the amount of money in circulation. You have a rampant inflation. And the thing that the left gets really angry, they look at the percentage increase in the consumer price index, which by the way, doesn't cover things like gas and housing where the big spikes are and stuff. But when you look at food or lumber and you add that to the consumer price index and you annualize it, it's not 7% as they say, because they're, each month it's going up geometrically. And so it's 0.3, and then it's 0.5, and then it's 0.6, or whatever. And if you take that increase per month and the increase itself, then you get around 12% we're running annually right now. And you've got a lot of money out at 2.8, 3% mortgages, and that's not going to last long. I can tell you from the 1980s, some, all these investors who give money to banks and their pension fund holders and hedge fund, all these financial managers are going to say, you know what, I do not want to get stuck for any more loans for 30 years where I'm only getting 2.8 and my money is eroding at 12% per year. And when they come to that conclusion, no matter what the Fed says, they're going to stop loaning 
until they can get up to seven or eight percent. So I think we're going to have a very difficult autumn unless Biden ends this free money and gets some physical discipline and we tells we tells producers there's going to be cheap available energy and go out and frack and hose on drill and we're not going to raise corporate or capital gains tax quite yet it's not going to happen of course and that i think is where we are so victor let's uh, stay on joe biden for a minute we saw images of him at a white house meeting with congressional leadership they were all sitting a mile apart wearing masks just clear ridiculousness. Today, Anthony Fauci, in the latest version of what to do with your masks, has announced, put aside your mask. And two weeks ago, the CDC was saying you could take them off outside, but if you were inside, you still had to wear them. This is, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, this follow the bouncing ball thing is insane. But I just want to add a personal thing. My son graduated from college, UConn, on a Tuesday at the football stadium, very limited tickets, people spread out in assigned seats so they couldn't be near each other, a windy day, a sunny day outside, everyone had to wear masks. And if you took your mask down, the mask police were roaming the stands to um, tell you to put it back over your nose. So anyway, we have more mask madness and our great pronunciator Anthony Fauci has weighed in again. Any thoughts on this, Victor? Yeah, you know, I have apology to you, Jack, and to my listeners, because in an earlier broadcast, I thought that this obsession with masks and quarantines well beyond the flattening the curve cycles was just aimed at Donald Trump. And I assumed that when Joe Biden came into power, then it would be a partisan you know, get rid of the mask, let's get the economy booming for Biden. But it's not. It's transcended that. This is an ideological movement or an ideological frame of mind that transcends just helping Joe Biden. Because what he's what we're basically doing, if you wanted to discourage people to get vaccinated, I think we're up to about 60% with one shot and about 35% with two. And we need to get people with two shots or the one Johnson. We need to get them up to 60%. But if you wanted to discourage them, then you would tell them you have to wear a mask, whether you in these summer months coming up, you've got to wear a mask. You got to wear it outside. Look at the president. He's outside. He's been vaccinated. Everybody in the room has been vaccinated, but it doesn't matter. And then if you were the Democratic left wing progressive media, you would start highlighting all the people who got vaccinated, yet they got COVID and you'd flash these headlines around. And then when you look at very carefully at the bottom line of the articles, you would read that it's about 99.8 or 99.9%, much higher than the 95% of all people that are vaccinated do not get COVID. It's like 3,500 so far in the numbers of particular states, given the vast millions that have been vaccinated. So what I'm getting at is, just at the time we want to kill this virus off, so this little thing that hops from person to person keeps getting the door shut in its face from people who've had it or people who are vaccinated, we have the official government saying, I'm sorry, you're going to have to, it's not really going to protect you. And there are some people who can get it. And oh, by the way, it's not going to change your life at all. You're still going to have to social distance. You can't really can't go to a graduation, even if it's outside. You got to wear that awful mask. But this now it's in hot weather again. And then there, we're going to always accentuate the side effects 
of it. I don't think they're going to get people to get vaccinated at a level they need because it's it's dropping off radically. And so it's just insane to do that. And, you know, I grew up taking care of my grandparents, my parents, and I'm 67, so I can see it myself. But when a person ages, they get fixated on a theme and it allows them clarity of emphasis and they don't have to, their mind doesn't wander it doesn't range over a lot of topics so something in joe biden's mind has said mass 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 mask so it can be the middle east it can be the border but ultimately it's the mask issue and he'll say you got to wear a mask got to wear a mask he never tells you why he never tells you percentages he never gives you the cdc website address so you can find out they're pretty up to date now that you don't need a mask outdoors but it's an obsession with him a religious obsession. And finally, you know, it all, I think everybody who's listening should remember this is really a what the left calls a teachable moment about the progressive mind because it is very contradictory, paradoxical. Think of all of the Karens in the world, and you're mentioning them yourself, Jack, at this graduation, who obsess over your neighbor and calls the police and arrest these people in church and arrest these small business people. And then at the same time, do what? They don't arrest anybody that comes across the border with COVID. They don't even check them. They don't arrest people who enter the country illegally, who reside illegally, who use false identification to facilitate that illegality. They don't really want people who burn or loot in Minneapolis or Portland arrested. And you ask yourself, well, are they hyper or hypo-legal? And the answer is the left is not legal. It's not constitutional. Critical race theory or critical legal theory, if you read it very carefully, it's ideological. And that is, the law is malleable. It's all intended for social justice as defined by equity, equality of result. So if there's a law and it perpetuates the status quo, then we're going to break it. And we're not going to call that illegal. If the law perpetuates what we call social equality or equity, then we're going to make sure we enforce it, especially as it applies to ourselves, like mask. But if the law says you all have to quarantine, we're going to go into every church and every little weightlifting gym and every little restaurant and get those awful deplorables and irredeemables. However, if you're a social justice warrior and you're BLM, then we're going to get a thousand medical quote unquote professionals to say it's more injurious not to protest and not to violate the quarantine and not to be required to wear a mask. So we're going to let you do whatever you want. Or if you want to celebrate the LA Lakers thing, go out in LA. It doesn't matter. So what I'm getting at is this whole issue really shows you the mind of the left. They believe that ideology determines whether there should be a law and whether it should be enforced. Well, Victor, let's talk about now a piece you have at your website, Victor Davis Hansen's private papers. That's the website. The, the actual address, folks, again, is victorhansen.com. You've done this before. It's a piece called Words That Don't Matter and that you try to, uh, on occasion, you say you update our contemporary American vocabulary. So there are four words, two two words that are uh, each uh, associated with each other, diverse and diversity, where you write this noun and its adjective have lost all currency, and then related words of racism and racist, where you write the inflation and promiscuity in the use of these once critical nouns and adjectives render them now 
empty and without meaning. Victor, would you elaborate on this new use and abuse of good old-fashioned words? Yeah, racism is now a stop word. It's like shut up or F you. It just means I'm going to level that charge and then all rational discussion is over with because the onus is on you now to prove something that I've accused you of. Usually as a word of, if everybody's a racist, nobody's a racist. If you're opposed to border, you're an immigration racist. If you doubt man-made global warming uh, can be rectified by all sorts of investments, then you're climatological racist. If you question, you know, whether it's a wise idea to cancel pipeline, then you're a pipeline racist. It's racist is everything. And so it's nothing. And usually the people who are leveling the charge are themselves obsessed with race. And so it's not going to end unless we do one of two things. Take your pick. When you call somebody a racist, we just say, well, you know, that's just like when somebody asks a question, we say, well, well, let me start. Right. Or if we're giving a talk, we say, uh, uh, um, yeah, well, that's what racist is. If we just said racist and then we start speaking or when we were coming from a thought, we want to pause word. We said racist, racist, racist. Oh, I got the idea again. It means nothing. And when we have that attitude, or if we were a little bit more muscular, when somebody says, you're a racist, and you just say, no, people who level that charge on no evidence are racially obsessed. You are a racist. And I think at that point, it'll be the emperor's new clothes again. Everybody will just say, you know what? It's naked. Right. It's nothing. Well, Victor, again, you wrote this for VictorHanson.com. I want to encourage our listeners to go there when you appear on a radio show or for example, you were at Devin Nunes's Freedom Festival. You have various links to your uh, appearances. You also have, we don't need to go into this, but you did two articles on what's called A Child's World of Animals. And if, for those folks who are interested in the biography and the childhood of Victor Davis Hanson, it's beautiful. Uh, there's a picture here of you and your brother on a donkey and or I don't know if it's a donkey or a burrow. So you'll have to set me straight. I'm from the Bronx. We don't we can't <laughs> differentiate. But it's a great website. So uh, folks do go. So anyway, Victor, let's move on. We have two more topics to discuss in the limited time we have left. So we haven't talked in a while about the Gavin Newsom recall. I don't know how stagnant it is, but of late, Caitlin Jenner, the former Bruce Jenner Olympian, has announced his candidacy. As a resident of California, what's your take on what's going on out there of Jenner? Is it, might he knock out the uh, the other two leading Republican uh, challengers in this uh, battle? Yeah, I think it's all about timing. If this recall election had been held, say, three months ago when Gavin Newsom was at the French Laundry having a multi-thousand dollar dinner with a bunch of lobbyists in violation of his own edicts that he was enforcing down throats of others, or when Nancy Pelosi was having her hair done when she was lecturing on the necessity of quarantines, or London Brand, the San Francisco mayor, doing the same at the French... I think he would have been thrown out of office, especially because at one point in the first four weeks of the vaccination program, we were 49th in the country per vaccinations of 1,000 because we had this... Byzantine Newsom system that we're not just going to go by what we should go. Ages of all races and all creeds are vulnerable by age. So we were going to vaccinate, you know, 80, 70, 80. And then all of a sudden he started tweaking with that. Well, 
65 and up, except if you're a farm worker, except if you're in a marginalized community, except if you're disadvantaged. And there were so many rubrics and, and qualifiers that it didn't work. And then finally, somebody said, you're going to lose. And then the Biden administration was worried. And all of a sudden, 500,000 vaccinations appeared per day in California, the supply. And all of a sudden, these socialists said, let Walgreens, let CVC, let Rite Aid just flood the zone. Let Walmart do it and forget about these funny rubrics. And all of a sudden, guess what? California is way up there now on vaccinations per uh, million people. And when you look at, more importantly, the weather is very warm in, in here and even more importantly, there's a lot of Californians that got hit in the second wave and a lot of people, especially in Los Angeles. What I'm getting at is there's a lot of people with natural immunity. The weather is discouraging the transmission of the virus. And a lot of people have been vaccinated because we junked Newsom's plan and we went to a free market plan, which now he, of course, claims parentage of. But my point is, so we're opening up and the economy is opening up. And we have a surplus because we have raised taxes to 13.3% and we're flooding people with state and federal money. And the result of it is there's not this urgency yet. But I said timing was everything. So if he, the timing was right now, he might survive. But we don't know what it's going to be like in a few weeks because the economy, as we just talked about, we're printing money and we're getting right. inflation and California has got housing going out, out of sight. Gasoline, I just looked this morning, it was $4.04 a gallon here in California. And as I mentioned last time, lumber is out of sight and cars, you can't find a good new car. It's, it's over sticker price. I, I guess the chips are not being made or for the computer systems, but that's getting worse. So we'll see what the actual economic situation is and the viable situation when the actual election is taking place. And then finally, you can recall him, but that doesn't give you a governor. You've got to replace him with something. And John Cox is a sensible business person, but he ran before and lost by over 30 points. And I don't think he's metamorphosized into a Donald Trump yet. People thought Caitlyn Jenner might be a way to thread the needle between the independent left-winger and the conservatives. And he would talk conservatives, but as someone who's transgendered and, and was liberal on some issues. But he's not a politician and he doesn't know anything about politics. So he usually when people do that, they transparently lie. So they said, well, I didn't vote in the 2016 election. Oh, yes, you did. We have, oh, I did, but I didn't vote for Donald Trump for or against. So he's already sounding like a politician. He's already backing off from his position. So a lot of conservatives, you know, he was on Hannity and they're thinking, you know what, this guy's not conservative. He's going to make Arnold Schwarzenegger look conservative, who wasn't conservative. And then we're the mayor of San Diego seems to be a reasonable person, but nobody really knows who he is. So I think it's going to be simply, do you want to recall Newsom when we're getting vaccinated and the, and the state's opening up. And if you do want to recall him, who are you going to replace him with? So I, I'm kind of worried because I think there's a good chance either he won't be recalled or if he is, he'll win the recall election. Well, I'm uh, making those recall with Hanson bumper stickers. So I'll be sending them out to anyone who wants one. 
we have a little time left. So let's talk about the essay, your most recent major essay for American greatness. It's, it's uh, titled Tuning Out Wokeism. And as most of your essays, it uh, has certain, several segments. I'd just like to read one of them and get your thoughts on this and then expound on whatever you'd like in the essay. And this section is titled An Epidemic of Cynicism. And here's what you wrote, Victor, in this essay from American Greatness. Most non-woke, that's you, me, and I would assume most of our listeners, don't always know which words in a given day are dangerous. So they listen more than speak. If referring to a high crime area, the correct terminology is, quote, an underserved or marginalized, unquote, area. To virtue signal, the fault is society's, not any individual's. If they hear there is an epidemic of white anti-Asian crimes, they assume there is not. In the sense, the qualifier white signals non-white perpetrators. If they read the latest post that someone wants to gas whites, Auschwitz style, or promises to avoid whites when the quarantine ends, or compares them to to an infestation that destroyed the human and natural world, they shrug their shoulders sort of nonchalantly and say, hmm, he must be a professor, a journalist, a lawyer, or some sort of privileged elite, or one of the wealthy, and all that much unhappier and angrier for it. So Victor, there is this cynicism amongst the non-woke. I don't think of recent vintage. We spent the last few years with pronoun assaults and gender assaults and whatever the left can do to keep traditional people off balance and confused, but it spread, it spread a cynicism. So would you expound on that and talk more about this uh, wonderful new essay in American Greatness? Why are we cynical? You know, why are we? Um, why are, because we're being lectured to all the time and whom are we being lectured by? Generally, the woke movement is not, as I said earlier, it's not a prairie fire grassroots. It's people of position and influence and wealth. It's the head of Disney. It's the head of Target. It's the head of Delta. It's the head of Coke. It's Oprah. It's Meghan Markle. It's the Obamas. It's Kamala Harris. It's the Silicon Valley bunch. It's the Wall Street crowd. It's LeBron and the Lakers. It's people that have had the most inordinate amount of wealth and leisure and affluence in the history of civilization. And who are they being lectured to? Sometimes the upper middle class, but mostly the deplorables, the Neanderthals, the chumps, the clingers, you know who that is. And so it's asymmetrical. So people think, well, I don't have privilege, but you do. And you're lecturing me on all the advantages I don't have as a psychological mechanism to excuse the fact that you want to retain the ones that you do have. So that's one problem. And the second is, it's monotonous. I had a professor the other day wrote me and said, did you get your turbo, you know, I, we talk about turbo tax letter from your dean or provost. And it's always the same. There must be a secret little hideout somewhere where they make these letters. I want us to express my heartfelt anger at this current situation and, and confess that we are, I have honor and privilege and all that whole stuff. Nobody believes it. He doesn't believe it. Right. It's just some white guy who says he has honor and privilege. And if he really has honor and privilege, i.e. if he became provost or dean because he didn't deserve it, then he could say, I stepped down because I didn't earn it. But they never do. And so there's a lot of cynicism about it, the, the language nobody believes. Notice the use of adjectives. They don't say racism because they can't point, that guy is a racist. See what he's doing? That white guy went up and he hit this Asian guy with a brick in the head. 
And that's because of a long history of hatred of Asians by white people. So they call it systemic, systemic. Or they can't say there's aggression everywhere against people of color, because there's not. I say that somebody taught 21 years when I had some brilliant students. And every time I got a white working class child of the Oklahoma diaspora, and he said, I got perfect GRE scores, I got a straight A. And I said, you're a white male from Fresno State. And we're going to have to work on that. I never said that to somebody who was black or Southeast Asian or Hispanic. Everybody knew it. They had, there was privilege there, at least in applications and stuff. And there was no economic privilege for a white working person. These people had no more money or they were no better off after two or three generations from, their, from the Oklahoma experience than were other people. And so it, it was cynicism. And so microaggression, systemic racism, et cetera, these are adjectives that are necessary to disguise something that doesn't exist. And euphemisms as well. I mean, euphemisms can be good, but notice all the euphemism. You don't say segregation. You say safe space. Right. You don't say segregated dorms. You say theme house. You don't say quotas. You say affirmative action. And that's the way it is. You don't say hatred of white people. You say white privilege. But that's what it is. And anytime it's these language is not based on reality and the people who are lecturing others about their moral imperfections are the most privileged and imperfect people around, then it's not sustainable. I don't think this whole woke thing is going to be sustainable in the long term. I think people are going to start to bail just like they did during the reign of terror, just like they've done during the McCarthy period. And then the diehard people are going to look silly and we'll see We'll watch. They've been cannibalizing a lot of left-wing woke people who were insufficiently left-wing and woke. Right. And I think there's a lot of people in the Democratic Party above the age of 60 that say, wait a minute, Israel's being attacked by some fanatic people that want to destroy it. And yet my party is telling me that Israel deserves what they get. I can't be in a party like that. Well, that'll be, that hasn't happened yet, but I think there's a lot of people thinking that I gave money for those guys. Well, isn't that why we elected Joe Biden, right? Well, what if Joe Biden had said this instead of old Joe Biden from Scranton, it's not going to talk like Donald Trump and unify. What if he just told the truth and he said, as soon as I get in there, I'm going to cancel a huge steel mill and put 14,000 jobs out. I'm going to cancel pipelines and put another 10,000 out. I'm going to propose massive new taxes on capital gains, on income and corporate profits and estates. I'm going to make sure that we can lower our carbon footprint by getting gas up like it's going to be in California, $4. And if we don't have enough pipeline capacity because after I cancel, that's going to be good. And that border, we need a lot more refugees. And I love catch and release. I hated that wall. I want more people to come. You're welcome to come in. No, we're not going to test you for COVID. There's no quarantine or mask required. All you do is walk across the border. And you know that Middle East is just, I don't like these Abram Accords. I don't like these sellout Arab countries recognizing Israel. I think we need to get the Persian Shia Khomeini bloc back on its two feet. And I'm going to make sure we do. What if he'd said that? He didn't. And what if he said, I want to pack the court? I'd not, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. No, I want to pack the court. And I want Washington, New Jersey, I mean, uh, Puerto Rico with states. Sorry, Jack, that was a slip of the tongue. I'm not from New Jersey. so that's I know, but, you're, <laughs> but uh, if he had done things like that, I don't think he'd be president. And I think 
if the Republicans can get their act together and the media will stop obsessing or is forced to stop obsessing about Liz Cheney and get to the real issues, then I think this 2020 is going to be exactly like the one a decade ago when Barack Obama lost the greatest number of seats since FDR's, I think that was the 38 election. Maybe it was 36, I think. Well, Victor, the honeymoon may be over for Joe Biden, but let's take that up next week on our following uh, ensuing podcast. So thanks again, Victor. I want to encourage folks to visit your website, victorhanson.com. There's a link there. I mentioned The Dying Citizen. It really should pre-order that book. And there's never a dearth of things to talk about, just a dearth of time, but we'll have more next week. So Thanks, Victor. And we'll be back next week, I'm sure, with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson podcast, The Traditionalist. Thanks. Thank you, Jack. And uh, I hope everybody sticks with us because we're trying to transition both in podcasts and then on victorhanson.com, whether it's Optimus Incorporated or Eeyore's Cabinet or Historian's Corner or philology, we're going to try to offer new content every day because I I really think these times call for more unity in the opposition to the madness. We're never going to stop the madness unless we all get together. I'm going to try to do my small part in a way that I haven't before. Thank you very much.